This is Solve It for Kids. Hello, my amazing and curious friends. My name is Jennifer, the Dean of all things STEM and STEAM, and this is Solve It for Kids, the podcast that gives kids and families a peek inside the real world of scientists, engineers, and experts as they solve problems in their jobs using creativity, cooperation, and critical thinking. And now please welcome to the show my podcast partner, Galactic Space Geek, Jeff Kanya. Hello, Jennifer, and hello, listeners. Galactic Space Geek Jeff is very excited for today's episode because we get answers to questions every space geek has wanted to know more about. Oh, that is absolutely true. What problem are we solving today? How do you slow down a spaceship? How do you slow down a spaceship? That's true. This is a question I have always wanted the answer to. Who is our guest today, Jeff? Our guest today, who won't speak at 25,000 miles per hour, (laughs) is the awesome Julie Wolfson. She is Senior Staff Systems Engineer at Lockheed Martin, And in layman's terms, she is the Orion Program's risk manager. Awesome. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, we are excited to have you. I mean, first of all, if you've listened to the show at all, you know Jeff and I are huge fans of Orion, Lockheed Martin, Artemis. Very much so. Everything space. Like everything space. Awesome. So... We are thrilled to talk to you about Orion, but I always like to start the show with, did you always know as a kid that you wanted to work on spacecraft? I did not. I I knew I wanted to be (laughs) in something science related. Okay. Um, I feel like I had the same dream as every other girl of my generation, which was, I'm going to be a marine biologist. Oh, yes, I had that. (laughs) (laughs) I did have that. Nice. And then, you know, as you grow older and you look at what am I going to major in in college right. and how much money do these people make? And marine biologists <laughs> yes. don't make very much no, money. They don't. <laughs> Unfortunately, so, for, yes. Right, right. So turns out I was really good at math and I oh. took an aptitude quiz and it said, hey, you know what? You'd be a really good mechanical engineer. And I went, okay, I'll major in mechanical oh. engineering. Oh. So wow. I did that. Yeah. I worked in the automotive industry before I worked in space and then things happened and I moved and got married and moved again. And now I work on space. So I kind of fell into it, but I love it. And I don't ever not want to work on space stuff anymore. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. I have to ask because you mentioned the aptitude test and, you know, kids and students are taking those all the time. And, you know, it's a test for them. So they're not really paying too much attention to it. When you got the results of that, were you surprised by it? Or did you already know you kind of had the aptitude and you liked what that was? A little of both. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I wasn't too surprised by it, but I was disappointed that the top three were all different, you know, aspects of engineering. Like one was mechanical and one was biomedical. And so 
I don't know, I guess I thought it's going to tell me something really fun that I've never heard of before. And <laughs> right. <it didn't. laughs> right. Okay. That just yeah. gives our listeners a good idea for yeah. when they're taking those tests that you're going to know some of that information, but maybe you pay attention to it yeah. and it leads you somewhere really cool. Right. Yeah. Definitely. So you decided to be a mechanical engineer and I'm curious, you started in the car industry and I read a little bit about that and you really liked working with cars. Can you tell us some of what you did initially there? Yeah, I worked at a tier one automotive parts supplier who made (laughs) hose and tube assemblies (laughs) that went on cars. So so we provided parts to General Motors and Toyota ah. and Ford, and it was a more fast-paced industry than yeah. space. So okay. in a year, I could, as a product engineer, get a drawing from General Motors, for example, wow. and say, hey, yes, we can make that part for you. Here's what it'll cost. And ah. get, get the factory set up to make that part, start making that part see it installed on cars and then be driving around and go, I have a part on that car. I have a part on that car. (laughs) (laughs) But with space, not so much, right? Because we won the Orion contract in 2006. Right. And we couldn't really point to, hey, look at our spaceship launching until 2014. Right. But it's not just one year. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, but it does level up the coolness factor. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, look at my spacecraft versus look at my sedan. 100%. Yeah. So, <laughs> no offense to cars. Of course yeah. not. We all get around in them. So you are the Orion Risk Manager. Can you explain to us what does that mean? Right. <laughs> so <laughs> risk is all around us all the time, right? Every time we get in the car to go to work or school or soccer practice or whatever, there is a risk, right? That you will get in an accident or that you will get a flat tire or something will happen. And you have to balance these risks, right? Is it worth getting in the car if I'm going to have a flat tire? Well, probably, yes, it's worth getting in the car. (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to walking or riding your bike miles. Yes, Exactly. You know, unless you live in the city and you can walk everywhere, but I don't, so... But when you are putting people into space, there is way more risk than driving somewhere, you know, to go get something to eat. So we have to manage our safety risks, our technical risks. And then there's also kind of a finance side of things. There is a risk that we will cause a schedule delay because something went Ah. wrong, or there is a risk that ooh, this first design didn't work and we're going to have to redesign something and that's going to cost more. And so, yeah, so we've got these four aspects of risk that we have to manage on the program, cost, schedule, technical, and safety. What kind of scale, how do you quantify those risks to manage? Because like you were saying with human space travel, like the risk is quite literally astronomical. But how do you put that in a scale for, say, a Lockheed Martin to understand and work with at your desks as you're trying to do your jobs? That is a really good question. NASA tells us how to do that. It is ah, in our contract okay. with NASA. And they say, you will quantify risks based on these things. You will figure out what you think the probability of that risk happening ah, is. Okay. And so if you picture a graph yes, on the left-hand side, they say from the top to the bottom, you know, very high likelihood, high 
moderate, low, very ah, good. Sure. Right? Okay. And on the bottom, they have you rate the consequence if the risk were to occur. Ah, and they have okay. a scale for cost, right? If it yep. occurs and it's going to cost $5 million, it's a whatever score. And if it's going to cost $100 million, it's another score. Sure. And that, the same goes for schedule and technical and safety. And so you kind of, if you remember your multiplication tables and you go, I'm going to find 10 <laughs> over here and seven over here and where they meet, that's the answer. Right. We have a risk scorecard and it goes from one to 25. That is totally understandable. Yeah. yeah. So this yeah. sounds like a lot of math, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it is math, but I enjoy it. And also, when you do this, can you give us an example? So our question is, how do you slow down a spaceship? So I'm assuming one of the risks, of course, is reentry. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? And do you also develop ways to mitigate that risk? In other words, Absolutely. lower it? Okay, good. <laughs> Absolutely. When you've got a risk that's, you know, 20 or over, you definitely have to plan for, well, how are we going to get that risk into something that we are willing to accept? So thankfully, there were other spaceships before Orion <laughs> who yes. paved the way for us ah. a little bit, right? Yes. So, so we know how to slow down a spaceship. However, right. the last spaceship that NASA had that sent humans up into space was the shuttle. And it re-entered the atmosphere differently than yes. Orion does. And it had wings and it just glided. Yep. down and landed on a runway because it had wheels. Yes. Right. We don't have that. We are a capsule. <laughs> We're a capsule kind of like Apollo was. Right. And, and so we assumed we would use the same methods as Apollo. Right. Except okay. we are bigger and heavier yes. than Apollo. Yes. And so a couple years into the design of Orion, we realized, oh my gosh, we don't have enough room in the forward bay, which is the very top of our kind of cone-shaped capsule right. for right. all of the parachutes and the upriding bags, which are kind of those balloon-shaped things right. that yes. after Orion splashes down, there's these red balloons that kind of show up. Apollo only had three of those. We have five of those. And oh, so we okay. did not have enough room for all of the things we needed to make oh, it no. safe to land. That's probably big risk happening yeah. right there. Big risk. So, <laughs> so instead of just saying, you know what, we can live with that. We can't live with that. No. We literally <laughs> might not be able to live right. with that. So, yes. so a team of diverse engineers with various experiences and specialties was put together. And the main thing that we decided to change at that point was the outside, the kind of walls of the spacecraft. We made the spacecraft wider so if you okay. can picture ah. an ice cream cone, right, you've got some that are really skinny and pointy and then some that are a little yes. wider and you could fit more ice cream in the wider one. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. So we changed our outer mold line is what it's called okay. by two okay. and a half degrees. And oh. that meant we could fit everything that we needed in. Oh. I love that analogy. Everybody's yeah. going to be able to picture exactly what was going on in your meeting room. Yeah. yeah, that's great. So how many parachutes does Orion carry? Orion has 11 total <gasps> wow. parachutes. 11. Yep. 11. But you probably 
can't picture in your mind how we have 11 parallels, no, even I'm if you watched three, even yeah. if you watched exactly. Yeah. So there are four different kinds of parachutes on Orion and they oh. start, they start their work after the heat shield is finished doing its work. Okay. So okay. Orion enters the atmosphere. Right coming back from the moon at over 25,000 miles an hour. That's Whoa. crazy. If I you know. were to stick some parachutes out at 25,000 miles an hour, they would just rip <laughs> right off the spaceship. Yes. And they, well, they would not. Nope. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So our titanium heat shield has a coating on it that is designed to burn off in a controlled right. fashion. Okay. And it does the work of getting the spaceship down from 25,000 miles an hour to about 320 miles an hour. Wow. wow. So that's yeah. like, the it's like slamming on the brakes. Yes, it is exactly like that. Exactly Whoa. like that. That's a yeah. strong parachute. So, <laughs> well, that's the heat shield stopping yeah, the, it. Yeah, yeah, but then when the pair, so still when you're going 300, what'd you say? 320 miles? About 320. Yeah, yes. so yeah. that's still fairly fast for a pair. It, it is. It is Sorry, very fast. Do they do <laughs> they tried. all come out at once? No, right? or, no. Just, there's, okay, how does there's that work? A, a controlled sequence of parachutes. Oh, okay. So Good. when we're at about 320 miles an hour, we're 26,000 feet above the surface of the Earth. Okay. And okay. three parachutes pull off the cover of that forward bay that we were talking about earlier, which is where all of the stuff is packed in. So three parachutes pull that off and away from the spaceship. Okay. Okay. So that's three already. Very good. Three, right. Then at about 20, so that happens at 26 and a half thousand feet at 25,000 feet, two drogue parachutes come out and the drogue parachutes are what really slow down and stabilize the spacecraft. Okay. Okay. And when they you say get, stabilize, sorry to interrupt. When you say yeah, stabilize, yeah. what does that mean? Well, it means we don't want the spacecraft to be swinging like a pendulum oh, underneath okay. those parachutes. We need okay. it to really, you know, be a hundred percent the heat coming. shield facing down right. at the planet. Okay. Right? Okay. Understand. Okay. <laughs> so okay so after the drogue parachute yes so those are the drogues get the vehicle down to about 300 miles an hour okay then okay. then those go away they're ripped off they go away well okay. no wonder we don't know there's 11 because they <laughs> right? all just fly off <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> right so then we're in free fall again and then there are three pilot parachutes that pull out the big main parachutes so their only oh. job is that they are guiding the main parachutes to come out of the spacecraft. And as soon as the mains come out, the pilots are gone. And then oh, okay. the three okay. main parachutes open up in a reefed manner. They don't just automatically fully get as big as they can. Right. Because, again, that would just cause them to rip off, right? They ha- yes. have to be okay. gradual. Yes. So the three mains come out at about 9,000 feet above the earth and 130 miles an hour. And they do the work to bring the crew module from about 130 miles an hour to about 17 miles an hour, which is the speed where it finally splashes down. Wow. Wow. That is a very cool progression (laughs) that I really think most of us, most listeners have never like 
learned about before because most of us know those three. Right. That's what I say. The final parachutes, because yeah. that's when Lockheed Martins and NASA's and all the news cameras finally catch. Oh, there it is. There's the yeah. capsule. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the orange know- and white stripes. Yeah. That's exactly. We all kind of know that moment yeah. on the screen. Yeah. But yeah. there's so much that has to happen before that happens. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'm curious, are you one of the people or is your team or like who determines the timing? Because it seems like the timing has to be fairly yes. precise. Like you don't want to be going too fast and poof, bye bye parachute. the parachutes go early. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Wow. Well, that's that's cool yeah. to figure all that out. Yeah, there are people that do way more mathematical analysis on that sort of thing than I do, but they were part of that team that said, how are we going to solve this problem when we don't have room for our parachutes? But yeah, there's a special team that goes off and does that. And again, we have the Apollo heritage that we can lean on and say, well, what altitude did Apollo's main parachutes come out? And and all that. How much heavier are we? Does that mean we need to do higher? Exactly. Exactly. So with the list of 11 parachutes, bringing that back into your job as the risk manager, I'm assuming more parachutes equals more risk, but it sounded like you need each one of those things to happen. So can you talk a little bit about sort of figuring out that equation of how do we do Like, why are there 11? Why not six or why not 26? Yes. And we did delve very deep into that, right? <laughs> we, we said, well, gosh, having 11 parachutes and having four different types of parachutes, yes. is that's way more ways for us to have a mistake happen, right? to right. have something go wrong. But we have models that we can plug all of our data into mm-hmm. and say, you know, if we were to do this a thousand times, how many times would it not work? And, okay. and it turns out that there are kind of cooler and more interesting and more streamlined ways of slowing down a spaceship and having it land at 17 miles an hour in the ocean. But this configuration that we landed on is the most reliable. And when ah. you have people in your spacecraft that you don't want to get hurt, you want to go with the most reliable. Okay. Uh, so love so, that answer. Yeah. So it kind of was, yes, it's more expensive and yes, it might take us longer, but it is so much safer for our astronauts. Right. And that's the point that I want to make, because even in, you know, like when I go and talk to kids about books and space and everything, not everybody talks about the money. And that has to be, a. I mean, it has to be a factor. Everyone's like, oh, you know, even certain people at certain agencies have billions of dollars. There's still certain amount of money you can only spend and kind of make this all work. So can you kind of talk a little bit about balancing all of that? Like, are you given a budget? Like you have to hit this budget or, you know, kind of, I'm just curious. Yeah. We say to NASA, we are going to build this and this is what it's going to cost. And they say, okay, build that. And we will give you exactly that amount of money. (laughs) But but when we say that we are going to build this and this is what it's going to cost, we've made some assumptions Ah. when we do that. And NASA knows that. And so as we develop things, if it turns out that our assumptions were incorrect or that 
something is different on the, maybe say on SLS, the rocket that we launched on, right? right? Maybe SLS sends over some data and says, hey, turns out you can't be as heavy as you want to be. You need to be a hundred pounds lighter than that. (laughs) Or we can't get you up to space. We can say, okay, we can do that, but you need to pay us (laughs) money (laughs) to figure out how we are going to get a hundred pounds out of our spaceship. Which is Um, probably not a small feat, I would imagine. It is not. It's a big deal. So so in those cases, we can go back to NASA and say, hey, we didn't know this at the time. You know that we didn't know this at the time. And they go, okay, this is what we can do. So, yeah, that that really sounds like a balancing act where you're juggling a lot of balls. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a question going back to the parachutes. Okay. The main parachutes, the one that we see the most and, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody gets the beautiful pictures and the video of, there seem to be holes that are already in those parachutes. Those holes must be there for a reason, correct? Yes, they're there on purpose. Why are holes in a parachute? Because (laughs) most, you know, when I talk to kids, they're like, the parachute's supposed to catch air and turns out holes let the air go through. That doesn't sound right. Right. Because if the parachutes were to catch all of the air... It's again one of those things that it would be too much force oh, on the parachutes. Right. Okay. And you know, either the vehicle would flip over or oh. the parachutes could rip off. And so we had to make it so that those parachutes captured exactly the right amount of air. And oh, so wow. that, okay. that's what yeah. those holes are for. Yeah. I understand. Well, yeah. and then I'm curious because you say that Orion hits the water at 17 miles per hour. Did you determine that number because that's the lowest risk speed for the astronauts inside? Or is that just, that's kind of what you could slow it down to? <laughs> I mean, mostly that's what we could slow it down to. Okay. And then tests are done on kind of a mock-up of the crew module right. okay. with, with mannequins and dummies inside of it, with sensors on them sure. to see, you know, what forces would you experience as a human inside Orion if it were to splash down at 17 miles an hour. And so it was kind of, this is how slow we think we can get it. Is that safe enough? Yes. Yes, it is. It Ah. turns out it is safe enough. So, okay. Yeah. Like you said, it is all a balancing act. So you're testing every single aspect of this and then reevaluating, right? Like changing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. If necessary. Yeah. If necessary. But yeah, we did many drop tests we did drop tests of not the exact crew module, but something that was the same size, shape, and weight as okay. the crew wow. module. So yeah. we dropped, you know, crew module dummies kind of out of airplanes and, <laughs> right. and said, see what happens with these parachutes. We also had a flight test, it was called Exploration Flight Test 1, EFT-1, that we did in December of 2014. And we launched on a different launch vehicle from SLS. SLS wasn't ready yet. And it was only a five hour-ish mission. And so we were able to get Orion to come in to the atmosphere kind of hotter and faster than it would come back 
for example, from the International Space Station. Right. And okay. we were able to test all of our parachutes in our configuration then, and it worked great then. Yay! <laughs> so you guys good. are all happy, right? Like, look, Oh, yay! yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Artemis 1 that just happened in the fall, yes. right? right? That it was a 25 and a half day mission. And Orion went further than it had ever been before. It yes. went over a million miles total. It went yes. further away from Earth than any other human-rated spacecraft had ever been. And it came in hotter and faster than anything else. And it actually did a maneuver called a skip entry that Apollo was able to do, but never did. (laughs) Which basically has Orion coming in and kind of bouncing off the atmosphere. And then going back up a little bit. And then when it comes back the second time, it has slowed down a little bit. Um, Okay. So the skip entry helps us slow things down as well. And then everything worked again on this past test, which is great because late next year, we are putting crew into right. Orion, yes. putting four people on board, yes. and we're going to fly Artemis II around the moon. And the, the crew should be announced, those four members of the crew should be announced in the spring of this year. Yep. Very cool. So That's we're, very we're looking exciting. forward to that. Yeah. So you were you were just talking about the actual Artemis One mission. Lots of our listeners know about that. Did the parachutes for bringing Orion back down for the actual Artemis One mission? How well did they work? A hundred percent. They worked exactly the way we wanted Yay! them to. Excellent. <laughs> I'm guessing that there were there were wonderful. lots of very happy Lockheed Martin employees at your watch yeah. party. In for fact, that, right? in <laughs> fact, yeah, the watch party was amazing, and it was <laughs> off campus, so we were allowed to bring family and friends. So oh, we were able to nice. bring our daughter and kind of watch it happen live, and it was it was great. And you know, just and, so many years of working on a project and to finally and, see it happen. Yes, wow. yes. And I have to ask because we talked about this before. Did you say that's my spaceship? Right. Like yeah, but car. everyone in the room, everyone in the room at that point was saying, that's my spaceship. <laughs> that's fantastic. I yeah. think that's amazing. So now everything looks great, I assume, for the next launch for Artemis 2. We are and- on schedule and getting everything ready. That crew module and service module are already at Kennedy Space Center and undergoing the last bit of testing that they need to do. And we're already building Artemis 3, 4, and 5. Wow. Um, they're all in various states of production. So That's exciting. That's so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. So soon I'll be able to not have, you know, more than a decade before I can go, that's my spaceship. Right? We'll, <laughs> we'll be launching more often and I'll be going, that's my spaceship. Oh, that's my other spaceship. Very good. So... Artemis 1 worked 100%. Everything was great with the parachutes. You just mentioned Artemis 2 is already there. Those parachutes are already there. 3, 4, and 5 are getting built. So the spaceship is not going to change. But I imagine your team is still going to collect all sorts of data Mm. from the spacecraft and its launch and its landing to make sure that everything is still working the way it's supposed to and no tweaks need to be made. Yes, I wouldn't say the spaceship isn't going to change, but it isn't going to change in big ways. Right. There's going to be crew on Artemis 2, and they're going to need a couple of systems working that we did not have on Artemis 1. So 
So some of the life support systems and some of the displays that right, crew will right. need to look at to gather data and see what's right. happening on the spaceship. And not all of those were on Artemis 1. So okay. that's a change right. between Artemis 1 right. and 2. Artemis 1 didn't have any docking hardware on it. And oh, Artemis okay. 2 and 3 and beyond are all going to yes. have that hardware. And and Artemis 3 especially is going to have docking hardware that works that because <laughs> yes. it's going to be docking with something in lunar orbit that will yes. allow them to leave Orion, go into this other vehicle, and land on the surface of the moon. So Artemis right. 2 crew gets to orbit the moon and right. look at it yes. and come back. But the Artemis 3 crew gets to land on the moon. And Artemis 3 is when the first woman and the first person of color are going yes. to get to land on the moon. Yes, so that exciting. Is, it is, yeah. It's just, it's so exciting and thrilling to watch all this. I remember when the first space shuttle went up and I loved the space shuttle. And I was like, you know, when that, when that project ended, I was like, oh no, what are they going to do? And now we have something just as cool, if not cooler, right? It's so exciting. I think uh, so. I do too. I mean, it's amazing. You know, Jeff and I were both at the first Artemis launch. We are now hooked. So we yes. will probably be at all of them now. <laughs> Huge Artemis nice. fans. Even if we have to like nice. peer through the gates, we will be there. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was there too, but I, I think in our our emails, you were actually had a better viewing spot than, than I, I was. Did. I was by the Saturn V. Jeff was over with the NASA social people. So we were oh, kind okay. of... Was, we, we were kind it of, was right next to the VAB. Yeah. The, yeah. Oh, and I was near the Saturn V, but I was on those bleachers and you had like a nice lawn to sit on, Jen. Yeah, it was, but the grass was wet. So, you well, know. Yeah. Okay. Good point. <laughs> I mean. Good point. It was yeah. still a great view. But, but how cool was that launch? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was amazing. It is yeah, something for my, our listeners to look yeah, forward to yeah. for Artemis's two, three, four, five, et cetera. Yeah. If you, can, if you can see one in person, that's it's just unbelievable. Yeah. I took my daughter out of school. I said, I don't care how many days you have to miss. This is very <laughs> important. And you're going to learn stuff. It's history. Just like you would be learning in school. And yeah. I mean, it was history in the making. Exactly. Um, well, we could talk about Orion and Artemis forever, but we are at the time in the show where we ask our guests to give our listeners a challenge. I'm very curious what your challenge will be for our listeners, Julie. Okay. Our challenge is trying to imagine how big those three orange and white striped Orion main parachutes are. Right. So Calculations have been done, and it turns out <laughs> it turns out that if you were to lay those parachutes out flat, kind of side by side, right, they would okay. cover almost an entire football field. So, Whoa. yeah, yeah, That's <laughs> so huge, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So the next time you're watching a football game on TV or you're at a football game or you're driving past a football field, just yeah. try to imagine that. Almost the entire area between the two end zones covered by parachutes. That's how wow. big That's crazy. they needed to be to land safely. Well, and also like the space that they're all like pushed up into, right? Yeah. So that is another really fun fact. So our parachutes are packed using a hydraulic press oh, and wow. they... All of the parachutes are are packed that way, but specifically the three main parachutes, once they are packed by that hydraulic press, they are the density of oak 
wood. So if you have oak floors or if you have an oak tree in your yard or in a park near where you live and you were to knock on that wood, that's how hard those parachutes are packed in. Oh my goodness. Wow. So they come out with this huge explosive force, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And they're so thin. The material is so thin. You can almost see through it. So to think about something that is so light and thin being packed to such a dense, you know. And then being able to stop a spacecraft that's still moving so fast. Yeah, that's a great challenge. I hope all of you guys do that and just kind of and then maybe go like I literally have hardwood floors that are, you know, made of oak. So I'm. Yes. But think about all of that. That's really cool. Maybe imagine if you could do something like that. Wouldn't that be cool? Yes. Well, Julie, this has been such an amazing conversation. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on Solve It for Kids. Thank you for having me. No matter how much of a space geek you are, there is always more to it than you think. And I knew about parachutes and I even knew about drogue parachutes. But the amount of science and engineering that goes into precisely slowing down a spaceship, especially when it's rated to have human beings in it, is absolutely (laughs) critical and is fascinating to learn. Just kind of, just a little bit critical. (laughs) But I mean, so I didn't know as much as you about the parachutes, but I loved learning all of the engineering. And as you said, the timing has to be a certain, you know, this one has to go on to then this one and then this set. And it has to go in a certain order so as to slow the spaceship down to the proper, you know, the lowest speed that it has before it splashes down to make everything safe. It's so cool to understand all of this engineering now. And I had no idea how big these things were until Julie gave us her challenge, right? Nor did I. For being Galactic Space Geek, Jeff, every time I drive by my daughter's middle school now, I see their football field, and all I can picture is the Orion spacecraft landing on the 50-yard line and the parachutes covering the field. Right? Those are enormous. Those are enormous. And it's so amazing that they can create this and again like layer everything i mean wow so i want all of you guys to do the challenge the next time you go by a football field and just imagine these three parachutes spread out i mean that's really really huge but also be sure you check out our website solveitforkids.com because we will have a page with this episode on it and we'll have some video of the Orion landing so you can see some of the parachutes coming out and also if you guys have any comments about how big the parachutes are or did you see them if you were happened to be on that side of the world or did you watch them on TV tag us on our social media we are at Kids Solve at Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And if you enjoyed this episode, we have several other episodes that relate directly to the Orion spacecraft. Go give those a listen as well. Until next time, you'll hear Jed and Jeff on Solve Solve It It for for Kids. Kids.